This is Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 152 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, it is my great pleasure to have Sean Clay, Group and Divisional Director of Spirex Sarco Engineering, a FTSE 100 world leader in thermal energy management, pumping, and fluid path technologies. Sean has been leading global industrial technology companies for over 20 years, including Honeywell's Global Sensor and Devices Division, where he was VP and GM of Industrial Safety and later president of the $1.2 billion European Division of the Safety and Productivity Solutions Group. He's a proven people and growth-oriented leader with deep experience building and enabling high-performing teams and organizations, building resilient businesses for growth, and sustainability and leading large-scale digital industrial transformations. In short, he has a passion for the digital and the physical. Sean, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Hi, Ken. Uh, thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and uh, happy to finally be able to, uh, to to have this conversation with you. I know you've been doing some great work with Inspirex Arco, and I've looked forward to uh, finally being able to allow you to talk a bit about that. Before we jump into that, I always like to start uh, talking about one's, if you will, digital thread. In other words, the one or more thematic threads that define their digital industry journey. What would you consider to be your digital thread? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great question because we use the digital thread principle when building digital business strategy. So it is quite curious to turn the question back on myself. I think I was actually fortunate throughout the 1990s to be exposed to the early application of digital capabilities for industrial and commercial environments. Uh, so, for example, algorithms for modeling how different types of smoke behaves in different types of fire and we use this to differentiate between unwanted and genuine fire alarms for automatic drip compensation and for predictive pre-alarms. And then using connectivity and analytics to remotely service and triage customers' building systems to optimize service performance, reduce downtime. And this also, though, complemented the physical field service operations that I was running at the time. And then onto the connected building or Novar Intelligent Building Systems, as it was called, where the objective was to de-risk the commercial build process through simplification and optimize the building and business operations as well in use. Uh, it wasn't all successful though. Uh, perhaps one which was less, less successful was the connected home, uh, working at uh, the late 1990s uh, with an alliance of utilities companies, uh, local government, IT and other industrial systems providers. Uh, which for the connected home, although the concept was proven to be correct years later, it just demonstrated the importance of timing because the technology wasn't ready at the time for connectivity. But of course, now connectivity is ubiquitous. So that early experience and engagement uh, really started to form the basis of, of my thinking and my digital thread. And I think more prominently today, I'm increasingly engaged in how digital is enabling ESG, 
um, helping companies to build a path to meet their long-term sustainability and business objectives. So if I try and wrap that up um, in terms of what that means back to the thread, I think these early experiences really created that passion for combining digital and physical and the human capabilities really to find ways to optimize the customer, uh, to improve the environment and to create new growth strategies for the business. And I think the important thing as well through that journey was realizing that these things don't have to be mutually exclusive. What a great uh, perspective you've been able to develop, as uh, as you uh, said, uh, you know, with a passion for the digital and and the physical. You've left us a lot of good hooks for the uh, for the conversation. Let me let me start with a, a broad question, just because I think it'll set a good context for the rest of our conversation. And that is, what does digital transformation mean to you? Well, when I think about digital transformation, it really has become a phrase which is used to describe a wide range of digital applications. And uh, so within a business, this can be okay, but providing there's a common understanding and use of the term. But for me, over time, transformation really is becoming something more specific, and I think also should be ambitious. So in the purest terms, digital transformation for me is creating something which is uh, net new, rather than enhancing something that we already have, and which is designed as well to be born digital, rather than being designed for physical and then being sold through digital technology. And for the business, it's a growth enabler. Even where the focus might be on a net new efficiency, then this efficiency should ultimately enable a strategy for growth based upon, for example, a step change in transaction cost at scale. So if it doesn't fit this definition, the question is then whether it's more so an ROI project, which serves to optimize the business today. And this can still be perfectly valid, but just recognize it for that and build for transformation in parallel. So I tend to think about digital optimization of the current business strategy to enhance the growth focus through greater customer value and engagement, and also to optimize the enterprise combined with digital transformation, where digital technologies, disruptions and business models inform us today in preparation for our next strategic cycle, uh, such that we can be monitoring, seeding or building for that future. So perhaps a, an evolutionary and revolutionary uh, perspective at the same time in, the in same terms time. of transformation. Yeah, and, and you know that is that is truly unique to operating technologies companies, large OEMs like, of course, you're leading. Just because you know so much of the installed base, the brownfield, as many would would call, is you know is continues to be the core business, and and certainly will be surrounded by the optimization, if you will, technologies that are there. So always having that balance, absolutely uh, critical. I was fascinated with your background because it's rare to find somebody who has held digital leadership roles across such diverse industries. You know, building automation, mining energy, uh, processing, uh, and, and you know, over the last several uh, decades. What were some of the key trends that you saw emerging over that time and, and really thinking about how these, you know, uh, crescendo, if you will, with uh, your time at Spyrex? Yeah, well, perhaps the key trends which are common across all of these industries is that uh, they're all ultimately uh, seeking assistance to achieve their long-term sustainability and business goals. And increasingly, we are seeing that the planning horizon over which we engage with these customers is extending as the scale of their challenges expand. 
the same time, I think back to the comment you just made previously as well, in parallel with that, they are still needing to maintain and improve their business operations every day to efficiently deliver consistent, repeatable and predictable product quality for their own customers. But I think what has also continued to evolve over that time is changes in legislation and regulation, which do increase such that uh, things such as provenance and reputation is something that is not necessarily always mentioned in the conversation, but should always be in the supplier's mind for its customers. And I also mentioned as well that uh, previously about ESG, and each of these industries are now really understanding how to measure the impact and return, not only in terms of pounds and dollars, but also in terms of the environmental benefit. And so how they understand carbon now, for example, as a currency. If we look at Sparex Sarco, uh, Sparex Sarco has been taking the equivalent of 7.7 .7 million cars off the road, boiling the equivalent of over 600 billion fewer kettles and reducing the equivalent of over half a million people's water consumption annually through the CO2 energy and water savings that it creates for its customers. So, so for me, these are the key trends that I've certainly experienced. Um, but in addition to that, we do see as well that uh, customers still expect to partner with companies that understand their own differences what their business economics are and how their industry works. So they want context and they also want that right level of granularity. In the food and beverage industry, for example, we recognize 21 different subsectors, such as packaged foods, pet foods, brewing and tea plantations. And this ensures that we can meaningfully engage with the customer. The um before we jump in fully to Sparks, because you've already touched on the high impact potential that you guys have, especially uh, on uh, on the on the energy side, one of the things looking at your background, of course, you guys, you and I have known each other for a while. But what really fascinated me was that in 2015 at Honeywell, you uh, engineered a combination of what was their existing sensors business, analytics, and safety products business into one business line. You know, focused on. Uh, passive and connected and passive safety technologies. Um, again, given that time frame, 2015, you were clearly ahead of your time in applying analytics to sensing, i.e. what we'll call the AIoT now, right? Mm. What, uh, what was the inspiration and result of these, uh, these efforts? Well, I, I start really with uh, Honeywell going through its own transformation in the, uh, in the 2000s. And, and part of this transformation was the Honeywell operating system or HOS Gold. And this focused on delivering world-class lean manufacturing and new product innovation, which ultimately combined as an integrated supply or value chain. So this started to connect with partners and customers, both upstream and downstream as part of a broader ecosystem. And what happened is that this highlighted that many of the digital enablers within the enterprise could then be applied as solutions to our own customers too. So consequently, we developed sensors, analytics and industrial safety for high risk workers, uh, including first responders. The difference being that in a hazard, they're the ones that have to run towards the hazard rather than running away. So critical to ensuring the safety of that worker was understanding their workflows, uh, sensing the worker and the environment around them to create that holistic understanding. So the outcome from that was a connected worker uh, using connectivity and insights to create safer environments 
And that eventually finds its way into more mainstream, lower risk worker applications, and also expands from safety into health and then into well-being. And the other outcome from that is that where the worker is considered as an integral component of the process, then the connected worker also leads to workflow automation and productivity. So upon joining Spirex Sarco in 2018, you set, uh, you, you set out on what I, I guess what I would consider to be the largest digital transformation to date. Um, Tell us a bit about the company and the digital opportunity. And you already threw out some great numbers in, in there. One thing maybe I can add into that based on some work we had done in the past, 66% uh, of industrial energy in Europe is consumed for process heat production. That's incredible when you think about most of that goes into uh, steam. Another metric we saw, 37% of fossil fuels burned by the U.S. industrial sector is to produce steam. It, it sounds to me like you're sitting on the uh, on, on the uh, uh, critical point, impact point, to really make a difference there. And so, you know, would love to learn more about the company and the work you're doing there. Yeah, and, and to that point, uh, in terms of uh, steam use and steam production, that's a really important point, Ken. Um, Spark Sarko uh, Engineering is a FTSE 100 multinational industrial engineering group and it serves those industries where the precision and expertise of thermal energy and fluid path technologies are critical, such as food and beverage, biopharma, water and wastewater, as well as energy. And the key thing about this is, you know, thermal energy, we have two components. We have electrical thermal energy and we have steam thermal energy. So the use of steam uh, for thermal energy uh, to help our customers uh, run their businesses uh, there's an increasing demand for, for steam as that thermal energy fluid um, to be able to help them optimize how their business operates. But they also, at the same time, have the interest in the clean generation of that steam, which is where uh, our business in electrical thermal energy enables our customers to produce steam in a clean way. So that's a core part of where we are right now and has informed some of the acquisitions that we made with uh, Chromalox um, and, and Thermocoax. And so we're in a really exciting position, you know, having already made an impact, but having a huge potential in terms of being able to build from here as well. So, and how we actually achieve that when we go to market is that this is a business that has global reach. It operates with deep specialist knowledge. It operates in over 100 countries and also it operates through a direct engineered sales approach. So the value really is in helping the customers, not only to help them find process and energy optimizations, but importantly, our ability to design and execute the solutions. And we've been building more recently um, the digital and the physical capability to enhance the value that we create for our customers through that process. So an example of that is that our physical relationship with customers, and you talked about brownfield sites, um, uh, Ken, before. Um, you know, the brownfield sites, we have this huge installed base. Now, physical relationships have enabled us to uh, create value for customers, but through a point-in-time engagement, um, whilst IoT and Omnichannel enables that continuous relationship to realize uh, insights for the customer and for ourselves all of the time. And the types of customers that we serve as well do range in size and scale. 
Uh, they range from large multinationals, which are leaders within their own industries and need to partner to meet ambitious long-term business and sustainability objectives, through to this higher concentration of smaller local customers, which may currently have a greater focus on maintenance and optimization. And what we have seen is that these customer segments often require a different approach to serving their needs through CapEx and OpEx. So customers which are leaders in the industry uh, have the confidence to make larger CapEx investments to achieve their ambitious objectives. But this often requires customized solutions which are not necessarily scalable or repeatable to the large majority of customers. So therefore, we created a smaller OpEx solution which is part of incremental proof points that build over time through a process of joint discovery with the customer. And this way, um, as one proof point meets a need and creates an insight, this provides the customer with a justification for the next investment, and the customer can choose where to prioritize that investment next. So subsequently, we've been building this digital transformation, which is scalable, repeatable, and accessible for all of the customers. You know, that's an interesting angle is accessibility. Um, uh, often the IoT or industrial IoT is compared to, you know, SCADA systems of old, but uh, basically, you know, driven by by Moore's law, accessible now to Arduino boards mm -hmm. in some sense, right? So a big portion of digital has always been making things cheaper, more powerful and, and more accessible. And what's interesting is you've leveraged that to do the same in terms of your own business process and uh, thermal and energy solutions, uh, perhaps as, you know, even thought of as, as a service. Not, not only are you guys are a leader in thermal energy solutions, but you're also a leader in environmental sustainability and governance, you know, so-called ESG. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier. So I'd like to dig down into that a little bit, because I understand you've got, you know, one foot of your leadership position in ESG and one foot in digital transformation. How are your digital transformation goals supporting the company's stated purpose to create sustainable value for all our stakeholders as we engineer a more efficient, safer, and sustainable world. Yeah, yeah, Spirex Sarco has a commitment to net zero emissions by 2030 and by 2025, uh, a 10% biodiversity net gain and zero waste to landfill. And, and this is captured in our One Planet commitment. And by combining new innovation with connectivity, we can also, in the same way that we are applying this to our business, where we can also help our customers find and solve their own demanding levels of sustainability objectives across all of the scopes, scope one, two, and three. So, you know, we, we've laid out a, a clear path and a strong commitment to uh, sustainability, not only for ourselves, but also for our customers and also our communities as well. Another areas as well that we've considered is that, you know, I talked before about the majority of customers, those and, and those brownfield installed sites, because if as a society we're going to deliver on our global sustainability goals, then we need to not only digitally enable those large multinational leadership companies, but actually all the companies. And that's where we identify that the digital OPEX can help us achieve this. But beyond sustainability, because you mentioned ESG, Ken, uh, you know, beyond sustainability, effective digital execution also has the potential to transform any company's focus on inclusion, equity and well-being by creating more dynamic ways of collaborating, 
providing global reach, removing geographical and technological boundaries. And I guess now, 18 months on, none of this is particularly new. But what we have learned is we've learned more about the effective execution of this to ensure that it enhances rather than detracts from inclusion. And on the government's component, uh, by providing supply chain provenance from raw material to end of life disposal, uh, creating greater visibility of the business operations, reducing risk and increasing predictability, this protects all stakeholders and the company's reputation. So we really do see how digital can accelerate a company's ESG objectives. In the, the bio we talked a little bit earlier, we mentioned you know, proven people and growth-oriented leader, deep experience building and enabling high-performing teams and organizations. The first movers in digital industry, say like GE, created you know large central organizations, usually taking on the subtitle you know digital, if you will. Some, of course, have been more successful than others. I'm curious, given your own deep experience in this space, to whom do you look for for inspiration on in your own journey, and and how are you organizing to approach this digital opportunity? Yeah, we we certainly do benefit from the experience of the first movers. And, and one of these lessons, of course, was that whilst using the term digital is still helpful to engage people in the conversation, the focus is the business strategy and the outcomes that you want to achieve and subsequently how may digital may transform this for the future and optimise in the nearer term. Um, so in addition to that key component, I think the other thing as well to your question on creating centralized digital organizations. For me, this is a great example of an and conversation of centralized and decentralized. Uh, I think, first of all, it's important to understand how the business is organized today to serve its customers, uh, make its money and, and execute its strategy. And also consider the pace of change that your customers expect from you and what pace of change you set for yourself. Because it is about that context. You know, different businesses have different operating models, uh, for example, from being highly decentralized with a light touch center through to being highly centralized with only the local sales organizations being decentralized to serve its customers. So one of the key things I've uh, considered, uh, Ken, as I've looked at different businesses is, first of all, understand how the business operates. And then it's a question of what should be enabled locally and what the focus should be centrally. And with this in mind, what I would say the role of the centre should consider is, first of all, to be constantly scanning for digital disruption and technologies that are likely to transform its business in the future. Uh, should be considering monitoring, seeding and building capabilities that are required for future transformation. And also consider providing a clear vision, um, a set of guide rails and the common architecture upon which the capabilities to meet the local needs can be locally developed. So for me, it's not a case of centralised or decentralised because even if not now, at some point in the future, the capability for digital business innovation needs to be embedded locally. Otherwise, the centre becomes the constraint and the edge becomes incapable of serving its customers or its internal business needs. So subject to the current culture, the solution can really consider the democratisation of digital technology and also organisational capabilities locally with the centre really fulfilling that role of platform today and readiness for the future transformation. 
You mentioned culture a moment ago. How do you assess each of your team's readiness for digital change? And, and I guess more importantly, how are you building that infrastructure and leadership to support the transformation? Yeah, well, the best talent needs the right environment to thrive. And, and therefore, the first focus is on creating that environment. And this really comes from a strong purpose, uh, clear vision, and also leadership, which enables capabilities such as curiosity, innovation, and velocity to thrive. Uh, you know, it's been well stated before that digital transformation is about culture first. Um, but to the point perhaps I was referring to earlier, we do need to contextualize that for each organization and its current culture. Because the current culture is that reflection of how the business makes money, how decisions are made, and which behaviors are incentivized today. And it's within that context that the transformation has to find its place. So some of the key aspects I assess really for readiness within the organization and seek to build, are first of all, looking at how strong is the business purpose? How clear is the vision? And does it provide context for each stakeholder to innovate and make decisions locally? Uh, does the leadership have the confidence and humility to create a safe environment uh, within guide rails, but for discovery, experimentation and learning? Are the capabilities of yeah, curiosity, resilience, uh, engagement and adaptability present within the team? And um, the other consideration as well is that transformation is change, uh, but change management can feel like something that is being done to you, even if you're actually engaged in the change yourself. So I see that change management has evolved towards adaptability, whereby the team has the foresight and the capability to lead the change for themselves. You mentioned uh, innovation uh, a moment ago. Uh, how do you leverage the innovation ecosystem or even how are you developing it both inside your company and but also outside? You know, think small companies, disruptors, et cetera. Yeah, this is a good point, Ken, because I think earlier we discussed, you know, how to enable innovation locally and close to the customer. But for transformational innovation, this really requires the development of capabilities and partners beyond the current organization. So when we look at transformation through the eyes of the customer, uh, the future is not necessarily organized how we're organized today. Uh, so the customer's objectives perhaps being greater than the scope of our own capabilities. So this requires an innovation ecosystem and orchestration which extends beyond the current business. And that's where I believe that Spire Exarco has that environment, it has the reach and it has the expertise for other innovators to connect with, to experiment and to build value which is greater than the individual parts. So creative collaboration will expand further as we host, accelerate and learn with innovative startups and collaborate with like-minded digital industrials and digital talent. And we're very open to different forms of collaboration and innovation. The, um, you know, it's um, it's fascinating. Uh, um, you think like a PNG, I think, was the one who originally came up with the outside-in uh, innovation approach. And I've also seen 
inside out. I think Guido Jure talked about it as a, as a venture studio in some sense. And so there becomes truly an ecosystem, you know, of leveraging out uh, external and, and internal players together. We did an interview not too long ago with uh, AFWorks. This is the U.S. Air Force's uh, innovation program and two of their key leaders there. And they really truly created a sustainable, resilient, if you will, uh, ecosystem and culture around innovation. And uh, there's so many of the things that you've said now that actually uh, uh, coalesce around, um, you know, some of the key points they were making as well. And so it's, you know, it's great to see this applied, especially to, again, an industry that is as impactful as, uh, as Spyrex is, uh, is as well. In, uh, in closing, I'm curious, where do you find your personal inspiration, Sean? Well, it was William Gibson that said the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> so <laughs> I do look to leading indicators and I do look for inspiration and and potential in, in a number of areas. And some of the areas I particularly focus on is leapfrog disruption. So observing, for example, how uh, by being unconstrained by the sunk cost of an existing physical infrastructure, more developing countries have been able to leapfrog directly to transformational digital capabilities. And I also look for where and when developing technologies will land in a meaningful state, looking to anticipate where the technology will be at the point that we need it in the future, rather than where the technology is right now. And I also look for inspiration from our young talent. Sparak Sarko has a fantastic uh, graduate program and uh, made a real investment in providing global opportunities uh, through those programs. But for me, the young talent as well, they're our future leaders of not only our industry, but also of our customers. And as digital natives and consumers first, they also bring that mindset to work, which informs how we build our customer engagement strategies. Uh, such as the consumerization of B2B, for example. So they really do provide a vision of the future, uh, but today. And, and and books, I think you've uh, previously, you know, we've spoken about books and your previous guests have provided some great recommendations. So I thought I'd try and add something different. Um, one, which is due to be released in September that I'm looking forward to is uh, Hacking Digital by Michael Wade and uh, Didier Bonnet. And I'd also recommend Fons Trompenard's book on riding the waves of culture, uh, particularly for global businesses. It really addresses the point of the and, you know, for digital and physical, for centralized and decentralized. And a third book is what you do is who you are, how to create your business culture by Ben Horowitz. So there are three books that uh, hopefully uh, others may find some interest and inspiration from as well. Perfect. Yeah, great recommendations. The first one sounds quite intriguing, and uh, I hadn't heard about that one coming. So uh, we will include links to these in the uh, publication uh, when we uh, when we uh, publish this. So, Sean, thank you for sharing these insights with us today. Uh, thank you, Ken. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation, and I hope it's provided some uh, some insights.
Oh, it, it clearly has. And uh, I'll, I'll certainly put you up there with some of our more impactful uh, chief digital officer discussions that we've had in the past. So it's great to see not only learning from that, but applying those and setting, uh, if you will, a, um, um, a threshold for the rest of us coming forward. So this has been Sean Clay, Group and Divisional Director of Spirex Sarco Engineering and Leading Digital and Physical Innovation. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for our next Momenta Digital Thread podcast. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.